0: Well, good morning, everyone, and welcome to the jar. I'm so glad you guys chose to uh, hang out with us today. Uh, my name's Chris, and today we're beginning a brand new series uh, called Overcomer. And what we're going to be doing is talking about overcoming some different areas of our lives. How many of you would like to overcome some stuff in the next month? Raise your hand. OK, those of you on the stream, we hope you are also. OK, raise your hand. Uh, we're glad you're there. Now, the reason why this particular topic we're going to talk about today, which is comparison, is something that I understand well, is because I have battled my entire life when it comes to comparing myself to other people. And we want to learn how to overcome uh, comparisons with others today. Now, to begin, I'd like to simply share with you a story. Uh, my in-laws are good people. I love them to death. But when I first met them, they were not so sure about me dating their daughter. Okay? Now, I'm sure that comes as a shock to some of you, because who couldn't love a face like this? right? Like, who couldn't love this face? But they weren't so sure about me. And so uh, they weren't so sure. But my sister-in-law, Janelle, has always kind of had my back. And from the very first time that we ever met, uh, she uh, actually told me the first time, she said, you are so funny and you're nice and you're smart. Now, I fooled her on that last one, okay? But uh, two out of three ain't so bad. And so I just always had this kind of uh, way uh, with her. And there was uh, this sense that she had my back. She was with me and she was for me. But one Christmas, uh, I found out that Janelle's a very competitive person. And she has a tendency to compare just like I do. And so uh, on Christmas, my in-laws gave each one of us a Christmas card. And Janelle, being the competitive person that she is, she opened up hers first. And she goes, oh, my gosh, a $50 check. Thanks so much, mom and dad. And she was, you know, just hugging them. So then I got mine and I opened up my envelope and I opened up my card and I go, oh, my gosh, you guys really shouldn't have done this. A hundred dollars. Thank you so much. And at that point, I go over and I give him a hug. And all of a sudden, Janelle's head starts to spin. And she's like, did you say you got a hundred dollars? I mean, you're not even family and you got twice as much as me. And at that point, I started thinking to myself, like, I've got to come clean. And so I did. I came clean and I turned to her. And this is what I said. They love me more than you. And she started getting angry, and my in-laws did, and a fight was just about ready to take place when all of a sudden, no, 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 I only got $50 as well. Folks, the curse of comparison is something that you and I struggle with in all areas of our life. And it kind of leads me to our big idea this morning, and this is your first fill-in, either in the program or on your app on your phone, and it's this. The fastest way to kill something special is to compare it to something else. The fastest way to kill something special is to compare it to something else. It's like when you get a car. You get a car and you love your car and it's a nice car and everything's fine until your best friend gets an SUV with all the bells and whistles and all of a sudden you're not so fine because the fastest way to kill something special is to compare it to something else. Or, you have a TV, you like your TV, your TV's fine, but then the neighbor gets a big screen TV, HD, and says, come watch it, and then all of a sudden it's not so fine, because the best way to kill something special is to compare it to something else. Now, uh, this happens in multiple different ways because of this truth. Whenever comparison begins, contentment ends. Whenever comparison in, begins, contentment ends. We see this all the time in social media, right? You wake up, you're having a good day, everything's fine, the day goes fine. You get home, you start flipping through Facebook, Instagram, uh, you know, Twitter, whatever it is. And you look at a picture of all of your friends at a party and they're having fun. And you start wondering yourself, why wasn't I invited? Like, why didn't they think of me? Why is my picture not in that particular party? Now, how many of you, by a show of hands, those of you on the stream, you can participate as well. How many of you went somewhere warm for spring break? Raise your hand. Go ahead. Raise your hand. Raise your hand. Guess what? I hate you. Okay, I didn't go anywhere. We stayed in Indiana. That's what we did. It did not get better until the weekend. And you know what I saw, though? All of your pictures out on the beach. You know the typical picture, too, of a person sitting on a lawn chair with their legs out reading a book. Wish you were here with their toes only showing. Why do you always have to do that picture? Why can't it be something else? But that's it. Folks it's so easy for us to lose contentment when we tend to compare to others and God must have known that you and I would really struggle with this even if we didn't say it out loud and so throughout scripture he gives multiple different verses to help us to overcome the curse of comparison one of them is found in second corinthians which is in the first or the second half of the bible in the new testament And a guy by the name of Paul who wrote close to half of the New Testament and one of Jesus's closest friends said this. He said, we don't dare, what's the next word? Compare ourselves with other people, what's the next word? Comparing ourselves with each other, using ourselves as the standard of measurement, how ignorant. And so what Paul is saying at this very beginning, he says it's ignorant. It's just ignorant for you to compare yourself to anyone else. I see it with parents all the time. Well, their kids are always well behaved and they do everything right. My kids are out of control. That's ignorant. Their kids are messed up too. They're just scared to do anything in public, okay? Or uh, it may be something like this, that... You know, you look at the money that the person that you look up to is making, and then you look at what you're making, and all of a sudden you don't feel so great. You look at a relationship of somebody else, and you're like, look how great their relationship is, and then you look at your own, and what do we have? Folks, how ignorant it is for you to compare yourself to anyone else. In fact... One of the problems with comparing is that when you do this, two things happen, and it's this. It either makes you feel superior or it makes you feel inferior, but neither honors God. Let me say that again. When you compare yourself, either it makes you feel superior or it makes you feel inferior, but neither one of them honor God. It either makes you feel better than somebody or you feel less than someone, but neither of those things honor God. Uh, For example, well, her husband gets her flowers at work all the time. The last time my husband got me flowers was on our wedding day. And all of a sudden you feel less than because you're comparing yourself to someone else or flip it around the other way. Well, I've got an iPhone 12. And you know why I have an iPhone 12? Because I work hard, and I do a lot of good things, and God loves me very much because I go to church. Now, that person over there, they only have an iPhone 7, and you know the truth is, is that they don't work as hard, that's why they have a crappy phone, and, you know, they're just not as good as me, and God doesn't love them quite as much. And you see what happened there? All of a sudden, I compare myself to someone else, and I think I'm better, but again, neither one... Honors God. So, folks, what does comparison do? It either makes you feel superior to someone else, or it makes you feel inferior. Another comparison uh, that we find in Scripture, and we're going to spend the most time on today, uh, is found uh, between two disciples that Jesus had. A guy by the name of Peter, and a guy by the name of John. Now, both of these guys had great potential. Jesus saw that in them. They both were fishermen. But the truth is, they had a competitive kind of nature with one another. And they were regularly kind of asking Jesus, like, who's your favorite? Do you like me more? How do I do with this? Is things good? And they were constantly kind of comparing to one another. And so there's this little competition going on. And do you know why? Because they were regular people. People compare themselves all the time, and the disciples were no different. Now, John, in my opinion, and it's just in my opinion, was a little bit annoying, okay? He just was. And if you read his gospel account, one of the things that you find is that he constantly spoke in third person. Now, do you know anyone that speaks in third person? Uh, If you're that person, this is what I want you to know. God loves you, but the people around you can't stand you, okay? Because it's annoying to kind of talk that way. Well, not only did he refer to himself in third person, but also, check this out. This is how he described himself. He said, I am the one that Jesus loved, okay? I am the one that Jesus loved, I mean, John doesn't hold back words. He actually tells everybody else, hey, all the rest of the disciples were okay, but I am the one that Jesus loved. Now, I don't know about you, but I think that's funny. Like, how arrogant can a person be? There's 11 other guys that are there, and he's like, but I want you to know, I'm the one that Jesus loved. Moses, for example, he said this, I am the most humble person in the world. Do you find that ironic? Some of you will get that at lunch. Okay, Wake up, balcony people. Uh, Here we go. And all of you down here on the stream as well. You see, John spoke in third person and he said, I'm the one that Jesus loved. And again and again, there is this tension, in my opinion, that's going on between John and Peter. And there's this comparison that is between the two of them. So I want us to look at a passage today in John chapter 20. And before we do that, I want to give you a little bit of the background. Uh, First of all, it's three days after Jesus was crucified on the cross. In other words, it's Easter, just what we celebrated last week. And early in the morning, Jesus was supposed to be in the tomb, dead. And Mary Magdalene runs there and what she finds is that the stone has been rolled away and there is no body there. And she didn't know what to think. She was like, could it be real that he actually has risen? Could it be that somebody stole his body? I mean, where is Jesus? So Mary runs back to the disciples and she tells them what has happened. And then I want you to notice, you may have never seen this before, but I want you to notice how many times does John let us know that he is a faster runner than Peter? Okay, check this out. Um, Now, I just want to help you. This is going to be fun. Some of you haven't had much fun factor in your life, okay? But this is going to be fun. You're going to see something in Scripture that you've never seen before, because I hadn't until I started studying it. Here it is. So the tomb is empty, Christ is risen, and this is what John is most excited about. He's going to tell you right now, starting in verse 2, it says this. Mary came running to Simon Peter and the other disciple... And then let's read this bolded part together. What does it say? The one that Jesus loved. And then Mary says, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we don't know where they put him. Now watch this. So Peter and the other disciple, who's the other disciple? John. Peter and the other disciple started for the tomb, but were running. But who... John, the other disciple, John, the other disciple, what did he do? He outran. I want you all to know. I showed up. And we're not talking about Jesus. We're talking about my running skills. I outran Peter. And that's the first time. Now, let me ask you this. How much of a guy thing is this? The Savior of the world has risen from the dead, but the guy wants everybody else to know Big Bad John ran faster than Peter to get back to the tomb. Now, let's continue on. Both are running, the Bible says, but the other disciple, Big Bad John, outran and reached the tomb first. Now, look at this. In case you're wondering, where's Peter? Where's he at? Then Simon Peter came along where? Where? Behind him. I outran him. And let me tell you where Pete, he's behind, like way behind. Like I've lapped him a couple times. He's so far behind. That's the second time. And went straight into the tomb. Then verse eight. Finally, the other disciple who had what? What's it say? Reached the tomb first. Three times. Three times. Now, folks. Is this not one of the most ridiculous things you've ever seen in the Bible before? I mean, think about that. Three times. Christ is risen, but I want you to know I'm faster. Christ is risen, I want you to know Peter was way behind me. Christ is risen, but I want you to know I got to the tomb first, people. And then, if you read on, in chapter 21, we find that... Peter's not having this. And he jumps in to the comparison game as well. Now, let me give you a little bit of the backstory. The context is that the disciples have been fishing all night long. And they fished all night, and they didn't catch a single fish. And in the midst of all of this, They are tired, they're worn out, but they look on shore and they see a guy that's walking, but they don't recognize that it's Jesus at first. And then the guy yells out these words, throw your nets on the other side of the boat and you'll catch fish. And they do, and they catch such a boatload of fish, they can't even move the boat any further and John is the first one to recognize Jesus and Peter's not having it. So what does Peter do? He does a cannonball up into the lake and he starts to swim to shore because he's like, I'm going to outswim the boat. That's what happens when comparison comes. You think you can do more than someone else. And he tries to swim to the shore, but the boat gets there first. And John wins again. Then what happens next truly is the power of the story. It's the most important part. But what you have to do is you have to recognize what had trans uh, what had taken place uh, before this. You see, before the crucifixion, Peter was sold out on Jesus. Before Jesus got to the trial, Jesus uh, Peter was like, I will never leave you. I'll never forsake you. I love you so much. He's like, even if all these other losers walk away from you, I want you to know, Jesus, I will never do that. I'm going to stand by you. But when push comes to shove and the trial takes place and Jesus is on trial for his very life, Peter denies knowing Jesus Three times, and after he messes up, Peter is like crushed. He runs away from everybody. He's broken hearted. He's depressed. He's humiliated. How could he have done that? And then he encounters Jesus on the beach, and he's not even the first one to get there. He's the last one to get there. All the other disciples have been there. Jesus is making breakfast for them. And then all of a sudden, Peter shows up, and he's last, and he feels like a loser. And as Peter walks onto the shore, Jesus turns to him, and this is what he said. He said, Peter, do you love me? And Peter goes, Lord, you know that I love you. And then Jesus says, well, feed my sheep. And then a second time, he comes to him and he says, no, 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 Peter, seriously, do you love me? And at this point, he's like feeling the shame. Lord, you know that I love you, then feed my sheep. And then finally, a third time comes and he says, Peter, and he uses a different word. He uses the Greek word agape. It means this unconditional, full-out love. I'm loving you. And Peter says, you know that I love you. And he says, feed my sheep. And it's from that background, then, where three times he denies him, and three times Jesus says, I love you, I love you, I forgive you. And this beautiful moment. And then look at what it says in verse 20. Peter turns around and saw him behind him. And who does he see? The disciple that Jesus loved. He's having this moment, it's like this beautiful moment, just him and Jesus. And what's Peter concerned about? Who's behind me? So he's having this encounter and then all of a sudden it's like, well, what does Peter do? He just turns around. Jesus is like saying, I love you. And he's like, he's turning around on him. And there's John. And why does he look at John? Because John's my competition. And Peter asked Jesus, what about him, Lord? What about him? You told me to feed your sheep, but what about him? I want to know what's his assignment. Is his assignment going to be better than mine? And Jesus replied to Peter. He said, if I want to have him remain alive until I return, what is that to you? Like, why are you worried about the guy behind you? Why are you worried about that? Why are you wasting your time on him? I'm talking to you right now, Peter. Why are you doing that? And Jesus says this then. As for you, let's all say it together. What's it say? As for you, Jesus says what? Follow me. He's like... Why are you worrying about John? I'm here with you. You follow me. Your assignment is to follow me. Your lane is to feed my sheep. Feed my sheep, Peter. Quit worrying. Quit trying to compare yourself to somebody else. Folks, we have to understand. You and I have to understand this. That we cannot faithfully follow Jesus. If we're always comparing ourselves to the people around us, what about them? What are they doing? How are they doing? Why are they doing so well? I'm not doing so well. What's going on? Why are they getting the attention? Why do they seem to be so much more blessed by God than I do? You see, folks, there's a question that you and I have to answer and we've got to get this right. We cannot mess this one up or we'll be miserable and dissatisfied for the rest of our lives. And this is the question that you and I have to answer. And this is it. Who or what is going to define your worth? Who or what is going to define your worth? And only you can answer that. Now. I'm going to meddle right now, okay? I'm going to get up in your business here just for a second, okay? And this is what I want to say. Some of you are trying to live your life for a dad who's already dead. Some of you are trying to live your life for your mom who has expectations that you're never going to meet. Some of you are trying to live your life to prove something to your ex-spouse and your ex-spouse has already moved out and they have moved on and yet you're still saying, I'm going to show her. I'm going to show him. I'm going to... What? Some of you are trying to live your life to please your friend. But this is what I want you to know. Whoever the them is in your life, that you're trying to please, ultimately is not going to make it. So, let me ask you this question. Who is the them in your life? Who is it that you find yourself constantly comparing, even if you don't say it out loud? Because I just want to tell you this this morning. That if it is anyone else that you're trying to compare yourself to, whoever your them is, other than Jesus Christ, you are running a race you're never going to win. You will never, ever win that race, whoever it is who is your them. Hebrews chapter 12 verse 1 says this, Let us run with perseverance the race marked out. For us, I want to ask you this morning do you realize there is a race that God has marked out just for you? There is a calling. There is a purpose. There is a mission. There is a race for you that is marked out just for you. And there is a lane that you can run in as long as you fix your eyes on the pioneer and the perfecter of life so what do we do you've got to run the race that is marked out for you don't run someone else's race you run your race we run the race that's marked out for us we run in our line we fulfill our purpose and we do so because that's what we've created to do And all along, you keep your eyes, you keep your eyes, you keep your eyes. fixed not on the people beside you, but on Jesus himself. A couple of years ago, my oldest daughter, Jordan, was running in an elementary track meet. And she was running the half mile, which is two laps around the track. And she's running. She's doing great. She leads the first lap all the way. She starts leading the second lap all the way. She gets to the hundred meters left. That's it. Just a hundred out of 800 meter race. That's it. Just a hundred meters. And all of a sudden, what do you think she did? She looked behind her. And when she looked behind her, her nemesis, Charlotte, started coming to her right side. And Jordan looked back like this and Charlotte came up to the side of her and she got just ahead enough. And Jordan tried to get back and to get closer but she lost the race. And she came over and she was just crying. She was so discouraged. And do you know why she lost the race? Because she looked behind and tried to compare herself with somebody else. Now today, we can laugh at an elementary age school kid that does that. But how many times, folks, do you find yourself looking behind and comparing to the person on your left or your right, but you're not focused on the one who knows you best? and who loves you most. You stay in your lane. You run your race. You don't have to compare yourself to anyone else. You don't look at what John's doing. You don't look at what Charlotte's doing. You just do what you do, and you follow the one who is calling you to run your race. Folks, this is what I want you to know today. You can't run anybody else's race. And where we lose a lot of our energy is trying to run the race of somebody else rather than running the one that God has called us to run. And this is what I want you to know. When other people run a race and they beat you in it from your perspective, celebrate them. Give thanks to God for them. If someone's doing something better, don't get resentful and nasty and angry. Celebrate them. Uh, one of the things that uh, early on when we moved to our new houses, I would drive by different churches and I would just tell myself, God, I'm going to start praying for each one of these. And so there's eight churches every Sunday morning when I pull in from our house. I'm praying for each one of them. I want to celebrate them because we're all on the same team. You know, uh, the problem, though, for me is that I'm a competitive person and I haven't always had that sense of celebrating other people. For example, when I was in high school, uh, I wanted to be the best at everything and I wanted to compete and I would compare. How was I compared to this person when it came to track or to cross country or to basketball? And because I'm so competitive, uh, that didn't stop at high school. But when I got into college, then I did the same thing. And I really wanted to find a wife, and so I would start comparing myself to other guys. Like, well, he's not as fit as I am. Uh, he's not as strong as I am. Of course, he's not as good-looking as I am, you know. And I would have this comparison thing going on. And then, once I became a pastor... I would compare myself to other pastors to see if I was better communicator than they were or was our church bigger than their church. And then I got married and then all of a sudden I'd compare myself to other husbands. And then I became a father and I'd compare myself to other dads. And this is what I finally realized in my uh, mid 30s was this, that when you're trying to compare yourself to other people, life isn't as much fun. It just takes the fun factor totally out of life. And the fastest way, folks, that you can kill something special is by what? Comparing it to someone else. So several years ago, what I did was I put some people around me. And one of the questions they'll ask me and encourage me is, how are you at Comparing yourself to other people. I actually went to counseling because I would get so overwhelmed and I didn't want to live like that. I I wanted to have fun in my life. And so I put that around me and there was so much healing that took place in my life and everything was going well. And then COVID hit. And when COVID hit, the world got weird And people got weird, and the church got weird, and everything got really, really weird. And all of a sudden, I started feeling insecure, and I started the comparison trap again. Comparing myself to what this pastor is doing, comparing myself to what other churches are doing, and all of a sudden... I just got overwhelmed. And you put in there some multiple transitions and challenges and people coming and people leaving. And I got sucked right back into the comparison curse. And several weeks ago, I mean, I was just discouraged. And I was like, man, God, I just am so overwhelmed. God, do you have a word for me? And I didn't hear it audibly, but I just heard it in my spirit. Chris, stop comparing. Stop comparing. You don't have to compare yourself to another pastor. You don't have to compare yourself to another church. You don't have to compare yourself to how your teaching goes. It is not what other people think about you, Chris. It is what... I think of you. And I just wonder today... Maybe some of you have lived your life comparing yourself to a brother or a sister or you compared yourself to a friend or you compare yourself to an enemy. You're always comparing yourself to somebody else. My kids screwing up in some areas. They're a better parent and you have this tendency to do this. Or maybe you're here for the first time or maybe you've drifted away from God and you're kind of like, why is my life like this? Why can't it be like somebody else's and you're in this comparison curse and God wants you to know today you don't have to compare yourself to anyone anyone because your worth and your identity is in me and me alone and I'm telling you when I had that moment with God, all of a sudden, it, it, I'm still working on it. I'm a work in progress. I'm not there yet. But I'm telling you, there was freedom. There was healing. And all of a sudden, I was like, I do have a lane to go in. And I do have a purpose, and I do have a mission. And even though it's been weird and crazy around us, God, you're still good. God, you still love me. God, you still want to do something great. And maybe, just maybe, you needed to hear that today. That God has a mission. He has a purpose. He has a plan for you. He has not forgotten you. He has not left you on the side of the road. And He says to you today, Quit comparing yourself to everybody else. You be you. What do kids say today? They just say, you do you. And that's what I want to say for all of you in this. You do you. You do you. You do you. You up in the balcony. You do you. You on the stream. You do you. You do what God is calling you to do. And don't compare yourself to anyone else. And as you're doing that, you keep your eyes fixed on Jesus who is the author and the perfecter of faith, and He has great things in store for you and me and this church and this world because He is not a God of comparison. He is a God of love who uniquely loves you for who you are. And He says today, I've got a race marked out for you. So run it with perseverance. Perseverance and run it with purpose. Let's pray. Loving God, nobody can beat us at being us. And so would you remind us this morning, God, to not to look the left or the right, but to keep our eyes focused on you. Help us to trade in our comparison spirit with your spirit. Now, the truth is, maybe some of you are sitting there right now and you're like, you know what, Chris? Yeah, that's me, man. Or that's me. I get sucked into comparisons all the time. I don't want it to be that way, but the truth is, I do. And if you're kind of at a point where you're just done with that you're done feeling less than or more than because neither one of those really honor god would you just raise your hand just be bold and say yep yeah, that's me i have a tendency to compare myself to other people let me pray for you god i pray right now for each hand that's lifted Help us to be overcomers of the comparison trap. Help each person with a hand raised to know that they are loved and cared for, that you've called them to do great things. Help them, God, not to be tempted by what's on their left or their right. God, help them to know that they have a lane, they have a race. And God, that you would give them the strength to be faithful in what you've called them to do, for them to know that they cannot win anyone else's race, but you have one marked clearly for them. You can put your hand down. Now maybe you're sitting there today and the reality is you're like, man, my whole life I've been comparing myself and I just don't feel like I'm good enough. I'm not worthy enough. I'm not enough. And why would God want to have anything to do with me? In fact, some of you might say, Chris, if you only know what I did last night, If you only know what I did last week, if you only know what I did last month, if you only know what I did last year, if you only know what I did in college, if you only know what I did in my teenage years, if you only knew, you wouldn't want to have anything to do with me. I just want you to know you're wrong. You're dead wrong. I'm not like that. And this church is not like that. And we are a people who want to embrace anyone because the truth is you're not alone. And if you feel tired, if you feel worn out today, if you feel overwhelmed by the things of life, there's one who wants to give you rest and to remind you that you're loved, you're cared for, and that he does not walk away. So today... If you're ready to say, I need that in my life. I need that assurance that I'm never alone, that Jesus is with me. If you want all of your sins forgiven, everything from your past, he can do that today. And God looks down from heaven today. He says, you're unique. You're one of a kind. You're special. I have a race marked out for you. And he says, I want a relationship. I want to give you forgiveness. I want to give you love. Scripture says, whoever, and that includes the person sitting in your seat or the person who's on the stream right now, that includes you. Whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved, will be made whole, will be made complete. And God wants to do that in your life today. So today you're ready to do that for the first time or you're ready to say, you know what, I've drifted long enough. I've been comparing everything in my life, and I need that to stop. And I'm going to invite you into a prayer. And it's not a prayer that you pray by yourself, but we pray it together in unity. Let's pray. Just repeat after me. Heavenly Father, I trust you with my life. Save me from my sins. Forgive me. Make me new. Set me free from the curse of comparison. Fill me with your spirit so I can follow you and run the race that you called for me. My life is not my own. I give it to you. Thank you for new life. Now you have mine. In Jesus' name I pray.